0: You love history, science fiction, and role playing. What if there was a podcast that brought all these things you love together in a deep, dramatic experience you'll never forget? Enter the Twilight Histories, a campaign style storytelling podcast that casts you as the hero. With the Twilight Histories, you will travel to exotic worlds spread across the multiverse. Some are familiar, others are totally exotic. You'll visit Egypt, locked in an ice age. You'll follow the Mongols across the American plains. You'll explore a terraformed Venus. Pick your adventure and experience a world out of time. The Twilight Histories was awarded one of Apple's Best of the Year and has been nominated for numerous awards in speculative fiction. Now, step on the platform and let's get you on your way. Let the Twilight Histories
1: podcast carry you to a different world.
2: Pixel Therapy is a member of the But Why Though Podcast Network. Go to
0: butwhythopodcast.com for an inclusive geek community offering pop culture news, reviews, and
3: podcasts. It's why I often get worded out by saying the word activism because I don't mm. feel like I'm really trying to change like policies or government or this or that. So much of what I'm trying to do is really just If I help one person, if one person sees this and goes, hey, I I see that and maybe that's me, Mm -hmm. that's job done for me.
2: Welcome to Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. Every other week, we bring on a guest who may or may not consider themselves a gamer to discuss the games that have made them and changed them and all the feelings they have about our favorite pastime. I'm your co-host, Jamie, pronouns she, her.
0: And I'm your co-host, Spencer, pronouns they, them.
2: And this is Pixel Therapy. Let's kick things off, as we always do, with our Patreon shoutouts. This is our special thank you to everyone who subscribed at our Patreon name in the credits tier. For the month of March, today we'd like to say a very big thank you to Val, Genevieve, Lindsay, Grace, Jackie, Ben, Pimitai, and Adyinka. Thank you all for your generous support. We can't do this without you. Remember, if you want to get your name in the credits, you can hop on over to patreon.com slash pixeltherapypod and you'll get access to our monthly bonus series co-op mode in our April episode we uh, talked about TV, <laughs> talked <laughs> about some TV shows. We talked about Elden Ring too,
1: but yeah, we also talked
2: <laughs> about Severance, which is a show that everyone needs to go watch uh, right now. Yesterday, get on it. Mm-hmm. If you're a fan of what we do here on Pixel Therapy, please consider sharing us with your friends and family, rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, or you can even write into the show. Send us a little old email at pixeltherapypod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. All right, it's time to get cozy, mm. pull up an armchair, feel free to lie down on the couch, ah. bring your shoulders back. Oh my gosh, thank <laughs> That's you That's a that. huge one, yeah, right? Let them oh, drop, my people. Oh, <laughs> let the shoulders drop, let the shoulders hit the floor. That's right. Instead of the bodies. <laughs> Let's talk about our feelings, Spencer. How are you? I'm well,
0: Jamie. I yeah. am... I did something very small towny last oh, night. <laughs> oh, small towny. Okay. What was I, it? Um, so, we had some neighbors move in down the street, and um, we heard through the town gossip grapevine that it was another gay couple. Ooh. Um, because they were staying at the house of our across the street neighbor's father because the plumbing in the house that they are moving into like exploded so through all of that (laughs) roundabout (laughs) connection our across the street neighbor was like oh by the way I heard these two guys are moved to town they seem chill so like any Self respecting queer, desperate for community. I wrote a hand, I hand wrote a letter <laughs> and folded it up and walked my dog down the street and put it in their mailbox. Oh. And I said, you know, um, we'd love to have you over for dinner to welcome you to the town. And they very enthusiastically sent me a text saying that the letter made their day and that they would Aww. absolutely love to come over. And so I made a very elaborate um dinner last night and they came over and we hung out and <laughs> it was all very Are
2: you doing a podcast with them now? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't,
0: I felt just so adult being like yeah. we're having a dinner party and um we had you know the main event and uh my we also picked up some cookies and baked goods from a local uh bakery and I don't know. It was uh, really nice. I realized it had been a, I mean, this may have been the first time since the pandemic, since pre pandemic days Mm -hmm. that I've just like invited us two strangers over to my house um, and sort of hosted them like that. And it just felt really good. Um, I hope that, uh, you know, we can hang out again. Um, It sounds like they're also sort of doing some small scale farming and you know, various DIY projects. So, uh, you know, I said, you know, we're happy to come help. Um, I don't know. It felt, felt good to make a connection in that way. And, uh, in the age of social media, it's not often you meet people through handwritten notes. So that was cool yeah. too. And word of mouth. So,
1: yeah, um, I'm
0: really
2: just impressed with the, yeah, just the go get of that <laughs> entire thing. Like just the active role you're taking in finding a friend and finding like a friend group <laughs> is really. Uh, to be commended, I think, <laughs> uh, at least for someone like me who has literally like only made friends with people who choose to socially badger their way into my life.
1: Yeah, because, I'm raising my
2: hand. Yeah, no. It's, <laughs> and it's not because I don't want to be friends with people. It's because I assume people don't want to be friends with me. And so it, it, to the extent that Someone even being like, hey, I'd like to be friends with you. I'm like, nah, you're just saying that. (laughs) I'm going to still leave you alone because you're going to get over this like little mental situation you're having right now. And you're going to realize you don't want to be friends with me. But I'm boring
0: as hell. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, trust me. I am very, I, I very much have these social anxiety hang of hang. What's it called? Hangovers. 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 Like, I feel like, um, I can be very on and gracious Mm. and people tell me I'm, I'm, I ask thoughtful questions and that I'm a good (laughs) host and conversationalist. You do. And I find that like in the moment it feels good. And then the next day, like, so this was last night. And so today, Mm. you know, it's like, I'm tired. Mm. I'm going over things. I said in my head, wondering if I was being annoying or being too much. I'm wondering like, did they have fun? I'm, spiraling like I, it's like I need to just lay down and drink fluids <laughs> and eat carbs and not talk to anyone for like 24 hours and I'll be okay again but it's definitely takes something out of me um I don't know it, I'm sort of struck these days realizing I'm much more of an introvert than I thought I love mm. people I just um I need I need that me time that recharge yeah. time too Yep. but um
2: luckily yeah, I just uh <laughs> I just preempt all of that in that post-social hey, uh, activity anxiety by keeping everyone at a very <laughs> long arms
1: length.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I it need. It's like I'm sure I will do nothing but disappoint them and embarrass myself, and so <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I will just that's absolutely untrue.
0: You're like one of the only people in my life who has like consistently and actually meant it when they said i will help you move and then you've actually shown up to help me move so like (laughs) even if it was like several hours (laughs) late
1: (laughs) even if it was
2: several hours late because we had to take the dog to the park okay but you brought food so that was like we did yeah that you redeemed yourself trying to make up for it. I just felt like such a lump though, when we did show up and you and the couple other people that were helping had already, we're literally pulling the last things out of the van. And Colt and I were like, um, oh, so can we like go get food or something <laughs> for everybody that did actual work today? <laughs> yeah.
0: And you did, you nourished us. Thank you for yeah. that.
1: Yeah.
2: Oh, you're welcome. So I'll say, luckily,
0: um, I did have several hours to myself this morning mm-hmm. to play a little game
1: <laughs> and Just do a some little
0: game. recharging of the batteries. <laughs> Is that what this game does? <laughs> well, it actually turned out to drain them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're playing Norco. We played Norco. We're going to be talking about Norco today. Uh, I think we're both still playing Elden Ring, right? I'm certainly still playing Elden Ring. <sighs> I'm. Would you say you're playing Elden Ring? I would say it's dabbling. still Downloaded, and <laughs> I I haven't played it in about oh, a week. I, ouch! Um, ouch! The <laughs> oh, it's still downloaded. It's still <laughs> downloaded. The death null of any game. <laughs> if the response is well, it's still downloaded. It's just um,
0: I don't know. I have I I have a com- I don't know. I have a complicated relationship with it. I yeah. I want to love it, and I think um, I. I don't know. I it's like the line between games are supposed to be fun. This is me. I'm just talking for me. I'm not saying mm-hmm. anything about anyone else's feelings about <laughs> Elden Ring. It's like on the one hand, games are supposed to be fun Her to be offended. <laughs> on the other hand, I'm like. I also want to be, like, there are some games, like, experiences that I want to be open to, even if it doesn't initially feel fun or yeah. easy. Like, it's still important for me to go through it, and I I still gain something from it. And so, like, I try to be open in that way as well. I think games can give a lot. Um, and I think when we start to allow them to exist outside of just needing to be fun, just needing to be diversions. That's when we allow ourselves to be open to, to be, to change us. So, so all of that. And I'm just like, it's so hard and scary. So I don't know. I think it's going to be slow going. Um, There are some games that I start and stop for months and then the, inspiration just hits right. And then all of a sudden I'm hooked like that happened with Persona five. And after I started playing it, I couldn't believe that it had taken me so long to get, to get into it. So Mm. I'm not going to take it off my PS five anytime soon. Um, and I'm going to, I think too, a side effect of making a podcast is that I think my approach to games has shifted a bit where I feel this pressure to always be, um, having something to talk about maybe. And I, that yeah. can sort of create this need to move on to the next thing or to, if there's nothing more to say, then why do I keep playing it? And I'm trying to remind myself that like, uh, as a hobby as well, it's not just about <laughs> what do I have to say about it? It's also yeah. fine to just experience it. So
2: I mean, I think that's it'll be an ongoing thing. Real th- I mean, like I'm experiencing that with Elden Ring just in the sense that like, I'm totally on the opposite side of the Elden Ring. Uh, yeah i don't know wheel board world whatever i'm totally on the opposite side where i'm just like i'm all in and it's kind of all i want to play but i don't want to just talk about elden ring on the podcast because also weirdly elden ring is a bit of a brain off game Mm. it's like it's not a game that i I don't know I'm, i'm discussing it with my partner as we're playing it and that's kind of like that's the connection that i'm getting out of it and it's you know, just good for me to unwind with weirdly, which sounds so bizarre because it's definitely not a like chill, relaxing, <laughs> like chill vibes kind of game. Um, but it's not something that I feel like I'm going to I would even if there there's nothing to unpack every other week mm-hmm. in a podcast episode or for me, it's just like, yeah, I'm still doing this and I'm still enjoying it. And it's still hitting the same things that it was hitting the first time I talked about it. There's lots to unpack with the hand spiders. (laughs) Yeah, so much, so much. (laughs) Um, like why did they move that way and why can't I dodge roll in time (laughs) Um, but yeah why do they have that many fingers (laughs) it's too many it's definitely too many it's not even two hands put together it's like there's like a half of a third in there and they like do this like crawl shift anyway and they uh, infect your dreams I don't need to talk about the hand spiders every other week right (laughs) so I'm like okay well that's no problem like I can totally just play smaller games you know in, in between and then it was just like pulling myself to play norco mm. this week was like pulling teeth i was mm. just like all i wanted to do was go play elden ring and i'm with elden ring mm. but i did pull myself away and i did play norco proud of you and, <laughs> and uh norco very quickly like totally totally grabbed me mm. holy cow so we're going to talk about norco today uh which is a fantastic Right? Can we say it's fantastic? We just oh, say yeah. it's fantastic. I think fantastic.
0: That's one
1: word. Riveting.
2: <laughs> Riveting. Exceptional. What are some other words?
1: Grotesque.
2: Ooh, okay. Okay. Nihilistic? Mm, yes. Bleak? Bleak. Dark. Warm? Heavy. Warm?
0: I feel like the colors and textures it feels very lived in it feels yeah. like the crumbling suburb
1: of your youth
2: immersive all-encompassing stifling mm. gritty <laughs> yes
1: <laughs> welcome All right, to so our that's, free association this this brain is, yeah, store. That, i was gonna
2: say that was our NERCO <laughs> word cloud uh so NERCO came out on march 24th uh it's developed by geography of robots and published by Raw Fury, it's available on PC and uh, and available through PC Game Pass, which is how I played the game. Um, it is described as a Southern Gothic point and click narrative adventure, a narrative adventure that immerses the player in the sinking suburbs and verdant industrial swamps of a distorted South Louisiana. Uh, it also uh, just last year won the first ever Tribeca Film Festival Games Award, which I didn't even know existed, uh, which is super cool. Yeah, I I heard that too and I thought it was really cool.
0: Um and uh th- that games were being given a category for the first time. And um just for folks for context, um the Tribeca Film Festival Games Award uh recognizes an unreleased video game for its potential for excellence in art and storytelling through design, artistic mastery, and highly immersive worlds. Um I also thought like the jury that decided
2: on these things was Quite the stacked uh, yeah. team. Ranging. Interesting, interesting collection of folks. Um, range first and obviously Elijah Wood. I mean, obviously, <laughs> obviously Elijah Wood. Dire- District Nine director Neil Blomkamp. Obviously, obviously <laughs> Tanya DePass, uh, who's the who's a streamer and founder of I Need Diverse Games and just all around cool person. You yeah. should definitely follow Tanya on Twitter. And the Hades art director Gen Z. <laughs>
0: just a motley crew
2: of of motley lovers I want to watch that team up movie like give me that fly on the wall for that combo (laughs) yeah so super cool that Norco won that award I think it's a little interesting that they're choosing to give it to an unreleased game and I'm kind of wondering like what they see of the game before they give it an award or like Mm. how you submit yourself to that category but this is not a conversation about the Tribeca (laughs) Film Festival okay (laughs) folks we are here to talk about Norco and how absolutely flabbergasted it left both Spencer and I. Um, This game is kind of mind boggling and kind of hard to talk about. Spencer and I were kind of having a pre-conversation before going on mic and we were both just kind of like, Doing some of that word association, doing a bit of like, <laughs> how did this game make me feel? I'm not sure I understand the game. But I just want to preface any conversation we have about Norco by saying, like, folks should go play Norco. Mm-hmm. If you have, it, it's it, as a narrative point and click adventure, this game is pretty accessible to folks, even folks who don't, uh, you know, maybe you don't have a lot of experience with like game mechanics or stuff like that. There's very small, limited combat sections in the game that are, there's really no fail state. It's very much a, text on the screen uh, getting presented with a room or an area and you're you're hovering over objects clicking on them reading more information about the objects uh, making dialogue decisions or kind of not just dialogue but decisions around how you want to think or contextualize about a thing in your head Um, and the story that plays out is surreal and dark and mysterious while still feeling very human and grounded and trying to reflect something about society. Mm. It's doing, it's doing a lot and it's, it's also an incredibly well-written game. Like Mm. this, this is one of those games that I say it's like a, it's almost like a piece of literature in the line by line writing. It's very literary.
0: Yeah. The prose is stunning. Um, Yeah. Of incredibly evocative uh, and as Jamie says, surreal. Uh, the one thing I might add to your description is it definitely has a bit of detective investigative work mm-hmm. feel like studying a scene and trying to pick out um, things that might give you clues or paying attention to areas you've been before. Um, and so, and there's a, there's this interesting um, mechanic of a, a mind map where there's all of these sort of disconnected thoughts that you're trying to fill in and make sense of and all of these people and, and trying to figure out how it all the web of intrigue, uh, and to find the truth. And so I enjoyed that kind of gradual unearthing and piecing together mm-hmm. of a bigger picture. It was a really cool, um, way of moving through the narrative.
2: Yeah. And so speaking about the narrative, kind of the premise of the game is that you play as the main character, Kay, who is a young woman who's been living kind of a nomadic lifestyle on the road, traveling across the middle of middle slash west of the U.S. Mm -hmm. Um, She was born and raised in Norco, Louisiana, um, but leaves home at a young age to kind of live this this nomadic lifestyle. She's returned home at the beginning of the game because her mother has just died from from cancer, brain cancer, I think, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <clears throat> and she comes home to find that her her brother, she has a younger brother who, and he's missing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, so her younger brother Blake is missing. Her mother has just died. Kay totally missed the funeral. You get a very strong sense that her and her mother were not on good terms; that they weren't even speaking before her mother's death. But she's kind of come back to uh, get some of the affairs in order and check in with her brother. Her brother has asked her to come back, um, but then he's missing at the beginning of the game. So you're kind of trying to figure out where your brother is. You start to figure out that your mom was maybe involved in some interesting stuff before she died. There's a whole mystery around what your mom was looking into. And it's kind of like kind of goes all the way to the top in the sense that it's also tied in with uh shield, which is the local oil company that kind of runs the town. In a lot of ways, as well as a security robotics firm Mm -hmm. that is kind of ever present and spying on folks. So it's set in this time space that is... Not quite the future, but slightly futuristic. They don't give it's not set in our current time period and it's not set in current Louisiana. It's it's feels like something that's very close to where we're at, but just far enough ahead that technology has progressed. I mean, for example, the family has a a live in robot. There's a robot that lives with them that is or android, I guess you would say, you know, it's Mm -hmm. humanistic presenting and her name is Million and she wears clothes and talks and like can make decisions on her own. there's things like super AIs that exist in the world. Um, specifically this AI called Super Duck that gives people gig work to yeah. do the things that like make its manif- machinations like manifest within mm. the world. Um, so it's this interesting space of kind of the old head oil companies that feels very gritty and grounded in blue collar and this this encroaching tech space all kind of happening in this uh area of Louisiana that's kind of perpetually swampy and flooded and is is actively like experiencing climate change.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: that's kind of the setting that we come into the world with.
0: Absolutely. And I think um something really Interesting about the game. uh, So it was created by um, this person, Yutz, which is a pseudonym that they use um, as a way of separating their personal history from um, the creation of the game, which I think is really fascinating. But um, this person, Yutz, created the game to sort of make sense of their own upbringing. Um, They were born in Norco, which is um, part of greater um, New Orleans, Louisiana. And um, there was this quick quote I'd love to add um, just to give folks, um, just to kind of set the stage for this game. Um, it's from an article by Alexis Ong for PC Gamer. Um, and Yet says, I think people are exhausted by the alienation and the dematerialization of the internet. And I think that there is a kind of new emergent regionalism, as well as a new kind of emergent sincerity that I can kind of see in my filter bubble. And Alexis writes, if collapse already became the zeitgeist years ago, Perhaps this emergent sincerity is simply the result of younger generations' increasing desperation and frustration with climate change, widening class divides, and virulent techno-capitalism. It's not romantic to be cynical and disaffected when we still have the power to do something about it, at the very least in our own backyards.
2: Yeah, I, I love that quote. And I think it's it's touching on, I mean, we see these themes that Alexis specifically is mentioning very, very clearly in the game, climate change, widening class mm. divides, virulent techno capitalism—these are core aspects of the story and the world that is built in Norco. And I, the the last sentence that that she has in that bit that you quoted, it's not romantic to be cynical and disaffected when we still have the power to do something about it, at the very least in our own backyards. I think that's something that I'm still wrestling with about Norco in mm. particular, and I, I I don't know yet. Yeah, I beat this game last night from the day we're recording it. You finished it this morning. <laughs> I think you and I are still very much in a processing place of yes. trying to make sense of this This game is all vibes. <laughs> this game is all <laughs> atmosphere and vibes. vibes. And, it, and <laughs> in like a really tangible way, and it, it's left me feeling things, but I'm not sure that I've made sense of those feelings yet. And so for this quote in particular to be saying like, it's not romantic to be cynical and disaffected. I don't think the game is presenting a romantic idea of being cynical and disaffected by the situation that we're in. but Alexa's saying like when we still have the power to do something about it at the very least in our own backyards, I do think that this game is really walking this middle line of trying to not not even asking but kind of say like there's so many characters in this game that don't have or feel like they have agency or control over their own existence or over the things that are happening in, in the greater like world and space. Mm. And there's something about the way the game just reflects that without moralizing it Mm. without really passing any judgment on it. And I'm not even sure the game is saying one way or the other, if this is what we should or shouldn't be doing. Like it's interesting to me what the game is trying to say about where where it, like it's set in the slightly future time, but it, I think it's reflecting a place that we're we're actively in right now, which is feeling like so much of what is happening around climate change, around capitalism, around technology and the way it's expanding into every corner of our existence it's it feels so far out of our control,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I think we're in the space where we can kind of decide what, if anything, we're going to do about that and how we're going to do it. And my thinking to date tends to be around like finding the, the 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 community that I have, the influence that I have, and making space for things there, and just trying to make space for humanity as much as I can within that sphere of influence. And that is, mm-hmm. it's small and potentially inconsequential in the grand scheme of all of the greater forces that are working against us. And in a lot of ways, Norco is not even presenting characters who are taking that amount of agency. Mm-hmm. And yet it's still not demonizing them
1: mm-hmm. for
2: doing so. And this is a game about just getting by. Yes. In the face of overwhelming <laughs> uh, systems mm-hmm. that are outside of our control. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it, that feeling of powerlessness is what is so prevalent for me right now, having just finished the game last night. Mm -hmm. And just even in the face
0: of a hopeless situation of a crushing system, there's still human defiance. There's still that spark of life that prevents us from just going silently into that night. Like we, even if there's no happy ending, we can still say fuck you on the way down. And I feel like there's something in that, like I'm still trying to unpack, but just that even the futility of the human condition doesn't mean that we have to give up. There's still, there are still things worth fighting for, even if you're just fighting for yourself. Like, I don't know. It really, it really hit something. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: No, I was just going to say, I think, like, as you're saying that, I'm sitting here, like, reflecting on, I think the game does present us with several characters who are doing just that, who are saying, like, basically understand that they have very little influence on the greater things that are happening around them, and yet they still take a minute to just kind of say, like, fuck you, (laughs) and I'm going to fuck this one small thing up for you (laughs) before I'm snuffed out or I become completely inconsequential. And I think, I guess, I was tying a lot of it to the main character's narrative, which I think ends in a very... Well, we don't want to spoil anything, but I just I just don't think... The main character doesn't have a traditional character growth arc, I don't think, in any real sense. And in fact, you don't really get a lot of sense of who Kay is as a person, which is rare for me. Instead, like we really are experiencing all the other characters in the game through K. She's kind of just like our cipher into the world. Mm. And so I think I was thinking a lot about like, well, what is the game saying about the world through K? And I actually think I was kind of looking at it in the wrong way. I think it's more about like, I think they're presenting this um, thesis statement. If the game has one through, through the other characters that K is interacting with. So Mm. you kind of just kind of flip. Flip that on its head for me. A bit. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's why we have these conversations. <laughs>
0: There's one thing I want to go back to that you were saying earlier, back to this concept of you can control what's in your backyard um, and, and how you are reaching for local community even in when things can feel hopeless. Like that really hit um, me, like even as I was thinking about just that little story I shared uh when we first started. Yeah. This episode about um reaching out to my neighbors, like this time, these past few years and ongoing. I mean, for me, looking around at all of the anti-trans rhetoric and very mm. scary hate, just pure hate and scapegoating coming a- up in the US, making it yeah. feel like we're veering backwards. Um, these these years for everyone have been very isolating. Um Feeling very this complete lack of control, um, feeling fear of the future and, and the inevitability of things like climate change and um, you know just the food shortages, food shortages, housing crises, like it's just it's like a never-ending onslaught of terrible bullshit. Um, mm-hmm. and there are days where I do feel immobilized by fear by hopelessness and feeling like what can i possibly do or that there's somewhere else where if i if i just lived in this country or if only i would like if like maybe things would be different and it's like all of that is just fantasy that's just my brain trying to come up with fantastical situations to make myself feel better or to think that there's an escape route that will lead to you know a greener pasture um And what I found is that, you know, just reaching out to people across the street or, or down the road, um, just, just making that point of contact, like, I think I could have just easily, it would have been easy to go months feeling completely alone. I've lived here for a year and I had yet to meet other queer folks. And I think I could have very easily just continued to let myself feel isolated and hopeless. And like, that's impossible to find community. Um, But this idea of like a, cute little Hamlet, small town where everyone knows each other and goes over to each other's houses and everyone has a friend group, like a sitcom is just, that doesn't really exist unless you make it. Um, and it's not as hard as it feels to just make a connection. And so, um, you know, i I really am trying to internalize that your immediate community is where you can make the most impact where you do have the most influence. Um, and, I don't know. I just thank you for bringing that up because it's like an important thing to remember, I think.
2: Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So let's let's talk a bit about the atmosphere and vibes that I referenced because this game has such a it's got a smell. It's got a texture <laughs> to it. Like like yeah. I, you can you feel it like on your skin in yeah. a way that I think very few games it managed to accomplish. Um, there's a lot of games that have been thrown out as kind of comparative points mm-hmm. for Norco. I don't know if any of them quite hit the mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I've heard the game compared to Disco Elysium, and I think Disco Elysium is a much more uh, robust, maybe is the word I'm looking mm-hmm. for. Like, it just has system systems depth yeah. that does not exist in Norco. Norco is a very point-and-click adventure game, and even in that category of games, it's being very it's nowhere near as obtuse as a lot of point-and-click adventure games are. It's trying to be super accessible to anyone who wants to check this game out. Versus Disco Elysium, which is just, yeah, very dense, lots of systems, lots of RPG mechanics to deal with. So none of that is in Norco. But I think the comparison to Disco Elysium for me is more in the way that Disco Elysium uh has moments in the game where you will encounter... Well, Disco Elysium also a super literary game like Norco, so I think that makes a lot of sense in terms of how they present their narrative, a lot of text-based, very deep uh, literary writing. But Disco Elysium has asp- moments of the game where you can encounter a line or go down a rabbit hole where suddenly the world opens up in a new way, and the game will actually shift perspective away from the main characters and present information about the town community someone else who exists in the world in a way that takes an almost omniscient omnipresent view Mm -hmm. of history space time and that's something that norco does too there's a moment really early in the game that i think is a great example of this which is that when kay first arrives at her her childhood home um she you you are looking at the house and you have kind of these options of of how you can think about the house. And, and it gives you the mm. option to think and learn more about the floods that have happened to the house. Because, again, this is in Louisiana. The house has been flooded several times. And when the menu first comes up, it, it says, you, do you want to think about the first flood, the second flood or the third flood? Mm. And if you go through, each, you click on each one and it'll kind of like present you with a memory uh, that's very much from case perspective. Like, oh, when I was this age, this happened and this is how we dealt with it um but if you look at all those three of those mem- memories and read the text for each one a fourth option appears it says the fourth flood and if you click on the fourth flood the actual image on the screen changes you're no longer standing in front of your house and looking at the house So you get this aerial view of the entirety of Norco, Louisiana, like almost like you're in a plane, and you can just see the lights of the different buildings and the fire coming up from the oil refineries. Yeah. And it starts talking about how in a few years the direction of the Mississippi River is going to change, mm. and the entire neighborhood that your house currently exists in is going to be flooded, and your house is going to be raised to the ground. And it just takes this perspective in time and space uh, through this like a simple little narrative moment that makes everything in the game feel both timeless and also inevitable. Mm. There's an inevitability to the way everything plays out in this game that I think kind of, that's like part of what speaks to that feeling of uh, that stifling feeling. Yeah. And I do think that that's something that Disco Elysium does as well. And that that's a good touch point in terms of h- how Norco builds its world.
0: Right, It starts to feel almost like gospel, like something prophetic. and mm, yes, and that's just hitting me now as you're saying that,, yeah. because there are these incredible themes of faith and identity that sort of um, there's like an undercurrent of it at first, but the way that it ties the narrative together and, and the ultimate like climax of the story, um surpasses into something entirely surreal and just pure emotion. Like, I think we were talking about, you know, we're not sure yet if this game is even trying to make a specific statement about any of these themes that it's bringing up, or if it's really focused on just an experiential catharsis. Like, and I think hearing that, like, it just it ties too into that circular nature, that inevitability of this has already happened and it will happen again, and we are all hurtling towards something.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I think that kind of brings us to the the next game that that I I would say this game has some. Mm, so there's some sinuous ties too. Mm. There's some there's some connecting tissues, some connecting threads here, uh, which is uh, Kentucky Route Zero, mm. which is a game that you and I played a year or so ago mm-hmm. and absolutely loved. And I think in terms of presentation, in terms of the degree to which the game is surreal or not, Kentucky Route Zero, like th- these are Kentucky Route Zero and Norco are definitely dramatically different games, telling dramatically different stories. Um, but I do think. This be the both games feeling very grounded in um, a working class space, a space of humans trying to get by under oppressive systems Mm -hmm. in the way both games branch into like surrealness. I do think there's a bit there and I can Mm -hmm. see why people are making comparisons to Kentucky Route Zero, even though I do think the games are dramatically different. Yeah, Um, the
0: magical realism, definitely there's a connection there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. What what else do, what else is like comes up for you in terms of the like overall atmosphere of the game? Yeah, I thought it was interesting um that
1: the
0: um designer of the game, Aaron Gray, um actually compared it to Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> that's bananas to me. I went yeah, I- like,
1: "What?" No. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, he actually said that um he Uh, He says, I used to boot up Kingdom Hearts when I was a youngin and just pretend to coexist in those spaces with these fun characters. I feel like Norco has a similar vibe. Um, I definitely can see there is this, you know, shifting party of sorts that sort of follows throughout the game. And the way that the game sort of changes perspective, expanding outside of just Kay, but even putting you in the shoes of others uh, within this community. um, And the sort of, um, you know people coming along for different junctures of the journey, some staying, some leaving. Um, and and you're really spending a lot of time, tr- you know, just traveling with them um, or exploring an area together. Um, you can talk to them. Um, you can sort of get more details about the world from them. Um, so I suppose I can see that, but this is like a very adult and... <laughs> And dark uh, yeah. Kingdom
2: Hearts. Um, Although, I don't know. I mean, I've heard some wild stuff about Kingdom Hearts. I think that goes <laughs> places, too. But, it's true. Uh, <laughs> That's true. It's just, like, that's a very such a colorful and cartoonish, like, thing to to suggest that Norko is similar to. But, yeah. Okay. okay I sure. think,
0: too, I see it in the... Moments of levity, like I think mm-hmm. Kingdom Hearts has a bit of humor to
2: it, and I see yeah. these,
0: those moments in this game as well, which are uh, very welcome pieces yeah, of rest. Yeah, I think I
2: think that's an important, definitely an important thing to bring up. There's a lot of humor in this game. For I mean, I think you know, anyone listening to us talk right now is probably like, "Oh, this sounds like a really <laughs> like oppressively dark and depressing game." And there are, there's definitely that in the game, uh, but there is also so many fascinating characters like every person that you encounter in the game feels, even if they're only in the game for a few moments, like you can feel the history of them. Like they do a really good job humanizing the characters that you interact with. And they all, they feel very real. They speak in a way that is specific to the game, but feels real and grounded. Characters have their own unique voices and their own backstories and relationships and like they feel deep um, Mm. even when you're not spending a lot of time with them. And several of the characters in the game are, are really funny. I, I chuckle. I was laughing out loud at several different moments, and there, there's just yeah. That sometimes it's it's absurd humor. Sometimes it's um. Mm. Uh, there's a weird amount of of like toilet humor in the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it really did make me laugh at multiple points. Yeah, it's like this combination of
0: this hyper local specificity like even Mm. locations in the game would be reminiscent to people who are from the area and yet there's this really relatable more universal aspect of you know relating to family community the different some of the different themes we touched on that that make it approachable to people who are not from the area but I think the fact that it is rooted in that very specific place and made by people who have roots in that place it does feel so realized and it also just has that human nature to it where like you feel like these characters you know are totally in this collapsing world but they're still just like people from the swamps and bayous of Louisiana, there's still people who are townies. There's still people who, you know, knew you when you were a baby and knew your mom and knew your grandfather. And just that sort of like very realistic reflection of like what these communities can be like, like rural communities, small town communities, suburban communities, like it gives it that, that that extra something that, Mm -hmm. Just makes it—it's comfortable and lived in as much as it is alien and sci-fi. Like it—it has this amazing tension that makes it unlike anything else I've ever played.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And you know, you kind of let's talk a bit about some of these themes that the game digs into because I think, uh, again, we don't want to go into spoilers, so we're going to leave a lot of specifics out of this conversation. But the. Just the amount of narrative depth—I'm just kind of blown away. I think one thing that I want to talk a bit about first is the way this game presents family. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Kay is pretty estranged from her family. She's got a tough, a challenged relationship with her brother, um, who needs a certain degree of emotional support Mm -hmm. and care that as the older sister, I think there was an expectation that she would provide some of it. And she kind of shirks that and decides to, to leave home Mm -hmm. and live a more nomadic lifestyle. And again, because we don't get a lot of who we don't know a lot about Kay really or her interior. That's not, not part of the game. She's, we don't even really see her face for the entire game. Uh, Both her and her brother's faces are presented as kind of just these drawn-on smileys. Like a scribbled
0: smiley face. A
2: scribbled smiley face with just two pinpoints for the eyes. And and I say smiley face, but it's she's not smiling. It's just (laughs) a straight line for her mouth. Um, so she's really not meant to be. I don't think we identify with her specifically. Mm. Um, at least not in so much, at least not outside of like how we see her lived experience reflected in our own, but that was something that was connecting for me a bit. Um, I am an older sibling. I do have a challenging relationship with my younger brother. I have a challenging relationship with my family. Um, Family's not, my relationship with my family isn't what I had thought it would be, Mm -hmm. you know, as, as a kid growing up and when your family's kind of your, your whole world or at Mm -hmm. least a huge part of it. And then now to be where I am looking back and I've come to a lot of terms with like what it is, but I think there was something in the way they presented the family as structure as this thing that can so easily be disintegrated. Yeah. Uh, that really hit a nerve for me that these family ties, I think we put a lot of weight on the idea that family connection is some end all be all of obligation mm. and says something about who we are and i think this game presents what is a very common situation for a lot of folks which is that your family are just people that you know and sometimes not even very well mm. and how easily that can not really say anything about a person mm-hmm. or be a big part of their life
1: mm-hmm.
2: what what what, <laughs> what was resonating with you thematically I
0: definitely want to talk about the use of water mm-hmm. and the inevitability surrounding it. I think earlier you mentioned the, you know, eventually the Mississippi River is going to change course and the Delta will be flooded and much of New Orleans will be destroyed. And rising water is just like one of those things that is impossible for humans to try and (laughs) overcome. Um, And I think the way that it's used throughout the game um, in floods, in the swamps and lakes, um, in the, you know, what it hides beneath Mm. um, where it can pull you, how it can seem calm, but have strength and currents underneath. um, How just, back to that theme of inevitable destruction and mm-hmm. how that's constantly hanging over this community. Um, even something that uh, back to the creator Yutz, you know, he talks about, or they talk about um, how it's a constant fear of like, when is the next time new Orleans is going to flood? And at the same time it's home. Like, I love it. I, I, I love that place. And it's a place I want to go back to, but I also know that someday I might not be able to, like, I think that's something that a lot of people um, can relate to. And so I just felt that it was so powerful. And even adding to, you said this game has a smell and I think the water, the cypress trees, the smokestacks, the fires burning, the swamps, the, like it all, you can almost feel that choking humidity. You can feel Mm. the, Mm -hmm. you know, the sound of, of frogs and and bugs and, and you can feel that, that water choking. And, um, for a game that is primarily text-based and pixel art, I I was struck by
1: how immediate the imagery of the water felt. Yeah. Yeah. That's real. And it's, it's reminding me,
2: a little bit too of this moment near the end of the game where you're getting this kind of vision of your home as you walk through it one last mm. time and you see your your father um, who died when you were very young and he has this, he's it describes him as like standing in a kitchen that's slowly flooding the mm. water, like coming up over the linoleum tiles. Mm. And he leans his hand against the wall and says, you just don't think that it'll get bad. But when it does, you don't think there's any other way it can be. That's what gets me. And I feel like that sentence almost is like there's so much in the game that I think that sentence holds the the relationship with the family the the flooding the the way society is like slowly collapsing the pervasiveness of it like so many things in the game people are existing in in what has become a like what you wouldn't have thought was going to become a bad situation or like when it started we didn't think it was going to get here and now it's here and you don't see any way out of it and you kind of accept it for what it is rather than trying to change or fix it if you even could um, so yeah uh, <laughs> That reminds me, I saw a quote,
0: it must've been a tweet or something, um, (laughs) speaking of pervasiveness of the internet, but um, (laughs) it was like, times are allowed to be good. Like you're allowed Mm. to have periods of rest. And I I feel like so often our lives become um, defined by putting out one fire to the next or like, oh no, like this bad thing has happened and, and that's defining me. And it's like, we often don't or sometimes find that we don't allow ourselves to be in the moment and look around when times are good and to let ourselves enjoy it because we're constantly mm-hmm. awaiting the next shoe to drop. Um, and so I think too, from the quote you were saying, like humans, we very quickly adjust to bad mm-hmm. situations. We very quickly mm-hmm. adapt and create a new normal mm-hmm. and we can start to forget what it looked like before. Um, And so I think, I don't know, it just gives me a lot to think about in just being more mindful maybe. Um, And also remembering that good and bad times are part of life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the pursuit of happiness isn't really arriving at a place. It's changing your perspective of how you view your own life and giving yourself, the space to see it as it is not as you would hope it would be
2: yeah one more one more theme that i want to talk a little bit about uh is the the game and i'm, I'm still really processing like what the what is being said here but there's a lot in the game that's trying to talk about faith uh like religion spirituality Uh, And also, like, but faith in that way, faith in the sense of, like, organized religion. Like, there's a cult in the game that plays a pretty significant role, and there's a couple different religious leaders that the game presents. But then there's also just kind of, like, what I would say are, like, more vaguer spiritual concepts of, like, the energy of the universe (laughs) and how we try to grapple with that as, Mm -hmm. like, silly little humans making up answers. Mm -hmm. And there's this weird power struggle that happens in the game for again, we're trying not to spoil anything. So there's a power struggle that happens around trying to control something that I think is symbolic of the energy of the universe. God, there's, there's all of these different characters in the game ascribing something to this thing, this Mm -hmm. MacGuffin or whatever that you're looking for, for a portion of the game. There's all these different characters ascribing things to this thing that you're looking for. And it's, It means different things to each person. They've all kind of built up this belief system around what it's going to do for them, Mm. right? All of these different power players (laughs) coming from all of these different aspects. The the oil company is after this thing. The cybersecurity firm is, you know, technology, corporations, uh, and religion are all after this thing. And the thing ultimately is everything and nothing it's it's a destructive force that is both ruins everything and and does nothing at the same time everyone kind of like implodes upon themselves
0: like the oil refineries the tech companies the religious groups they're all trying to capture and use that thing but it's something that is impossible to be contained it's it's the indifference of the universe. And it's also the love of the universe. It's the inevitability of life. It's, it's energy. It's whatever ineffable quality makes us who we are. Like it's, it's impossible to control and capitalism is going to run us into the ground in our pursuit of being something more than what we are.
1: Mm. And
0: the hubris there. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
2: And at the same time, it is not entirely indifferent to us. There's a relationship that that Kay and, and Kay's mother have with this thing that feels spiritual to me. That feels like faith with a small F, that feels like, you know, believing and accepting that there is something out there that maybe isn't going to it's not going to do what you want it to do in the way that we might think of traditionally like I'm going to pray for X thing to happen and you know it's like that that childish belief system of like I'm going to kneel down and I'm going to pray that I get that I get this uh, that I get that Lego set for Christmas <laughs> and then God will make sure that Santa brings me the Lego set but it's the connection to something larger than ourselves while still understanding that while that thing cares for us, it's not going to do anything for us specifically. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
0: And that we're meant to die. I think too, Mm -hmm. like there is no one is going to escape this.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So on that bleak note, no, no, but but seriously, like this game is, I mean, I'm going to be thinking about this game for a few more weeks, I think. And just chewing on it. Yeah. And maybe even replaying portions of it. It was so, you know, we didn't really talk about how gorgeous the artwork is, but the the detailed pixel art in this, they use a lot of blues and oranges and it Mm. just, it feels, there's just so much, like you feel like you could touch this game. Yeah. This game has touched me. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. There's a quote
0: that I want to share that, Maybe to carry us out. Um, yeah. yeah, let's do it. <laughs> it's a conversation that happens pretty late in the game. And I think ties into some of what we were covering with the explorations of faith and these cults and the ways humans strive to escape our fate. Um, and this character says, no one is satisfied here. We're trapped in this limbo, a long twilight that bleeds out to the edges of time where even the most fantastic things become banal. This gray blanket of stale time, stagnant, lonely time, to puncture it,
1: to punch a hole in it, I understand the appeal. I do. Yeah. Narco! (laughs) Go play Narco, folks. What a fantastic game.
2: Time to move over to our interview, and today we're talking to Vanit Mehta, He's a software engineer, writer, and public speaker working to increase bi-visibility through his activism. We had a wonderful conversation with Venet discussing bisexuality erasure, the importance of finding your queer community, the concept of player sexuality, and what modern games get wrong when they make queer representation and content optional. We really enjoyed chatting with Vinit, and I'm sure you all will too. So without further ado, here's our interview with Vinit Meta.
0: to our wonderful guest and thank you so much for joining us in the virtual pixel therapy studio to start can you share your name and your pronouns
3: yeah hi everyone Uh, my name is Vineet Mehta my pronouns are he him and Vineet how do you spend your time oh big question so um my main job is a software engineer so I guess I spend a lot of time doing that Mm. um but on the side I also do a lot of like Activismy stuff. I mm. don't know. I always know, don't know what to call it. <laughs> but I um do a lot of writing around bisexuality and about being bisexual and a person of color. So because I'm Indian, um so I talk a lot about that. um I volunteer in the community sometimes. I've been involved in several projects and helped out with certain things. um And then outside of all of that, I guess I play a lot of video games and binge a lot of TV. <laughs>
0: Love it. Love that. (laughs) Um, and Vinita, I just wanted to comment that like, as someone who is a writer and a community builder and that being a channel for your advocacy, for your community, I just wanted to note that, um, I think it's amazing that you are literally putting content out there in such a vulnerable way. Um, since I feel like for so many bisexual folks, like including myself in that, um, That, like, my own understanding of myself and my coming out was really delayed by just not even having the language or knowing that that was a possibility until someone else, like, spoke it into existence for me. Um, And so, like, specifically, like, you're, you're literally doing that. You're putting words out there that resonate with others and i hopefully you know helping someone else come to that conclusion earlier and and find your work that speaks to such a specific audience i was wondering if that resonated with you at all and um kind of what drew you to this work
3: yeah i mean that 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 is literally it like for me i didn't find out the word bisexual until i was 17 despite having feelings way before that only around like 12 13 maybe earlier um and I didn't know what it was because I was like, well, there's gay and this straight. And I'm, is that gay then? Am mm. I gay? Uh, and I didn't know this word existed. And I finally found this word and everyone laughed about it. And everyone said it was stupid and doesn't make sense and isn't real. And so I couldn't see myself as seeing it as real because I didn't know anyone who was using it apart from this one person mm-hmm. who everyone said was lying. Mm-hmm. I didn't see it in media. I didn't see celebrities. I didn't see anyone living this life who wasn't maybe just like someone people saw as like another dumb kid. And so for me, I was like, I, it took me until I was about 25 Mm. to really look at that word. Um, because, and, and stop denying it really, because I was just denying my attraction to men. I was like, that's not a thing. I can't see validity in that because X, Y, Z and kept finding reasons. and, It wasn't until I just couldn't deny it anymore that I was like, well, I guess I have to pick this word because I don't understand what else it could be.
1: Mm. And I still
3: found that trouble of like, I don't know if what I'm saying is real. I don't know if anyone else is going to see what I'm saying is real. I don't know if I'm going to experience the exact same reaction. And I definitely did. I definitely experienced people who were like, yeah, but you're probably more like, you're probably more gay, right? Probably more Mm. this. And so I really, I always say with my work that you know, a lot of people go, well, what are you doing it for? Are you trying to do this or that or that? It's why I often get worded out by saying the word activism, because I don't
1: Mm.
3: feel like I'm really trying to change, like policies or government or this or that. And I'm not really like making my own space. I'm just trying to help my possible. And so much of what I'm trying to do is really just, if I help one person, if one person sees this, Reads this, watches this, whatever, and goes, "Hey, I, I see that, and maybe that's me. Mm-hmm. That's job done for me. I'm like, great, I help someone. Um, that's that's all it is. That's all I'm all I'm trying to do.
0: Absolutely, and thank you for sharing that. And I think too, what, what you're saying is an important reminder um, to all of us that like." this work happens on multiple levels, like changing policy isn't the only thing that's going to save us or yeah. going to liberate us. Like we have the work has to start internally and in among the people in our immediate sphere of influence. Um, Cause that's where we have the most power is really the people that we have direct connections with. And, yeah. um, and two, like the work isn't sustainable if we're not taking care of ourselves, celebrating each other, sharing love with each other, seeing each other. Um, so I think, that w- the work you're doing is incredibly important, um, even if it's not something as, uh, you know, high up the, as, like, changing policy. Um, Thank uh, you. So. <laughs> 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 I, just, <laughs> I just think uh, what you spoke on, too, is so true. Like, when, like, just loving Yourself is a radical act when you live in a society that is constantly telling us, um, you know. I, I mean, looking at in media and, and my own experiences in school and just uh, what our heteronormative society tells us is like, um, you're doing something wrong. You're you you're you're tricking people. You haven't made up your mind. Um, even if you're with someone, it's just a matter of time until uh, like, you know, there's this myth. I think I see it a lot in TV shows and stuff where like bisexual people are just like constantly trying to hook up and they're not faithful because for some reason, being attracted to more types of people means that we're not content. I, I, just, I don't know. <laughs> um, so it's hard. It's hard to feel valid. And it's also hard to feel unashamed i think sometimes uh of embracing bisexuality
3: yeah and i think you know it's it's difficult because um so much of society is trying to paint certain things as bad and they pair it up with other things that people see as bad and it's like actually no both of those are fine like so often you see people being like oh well all bi people are polyamorous i'm like well one, they aren't. But two, why is that a bad thing? Mm-hmm. And it's because people see polyamory as a bad thing. And they go, well, it's greedy, right? Like, you hmm. can't just be happy with one. And it's like, what? No, There's nothing, that's not what that means. But also, like, who cares? Who mm-hmm. cares if people want more than one person in their lives? Like, it's it's a ridiculous game that people try to play because they are, just trying to buy into this heteronormative sort of monosexist. They're, they're trying to buy into the lifestyle that the world is trying to sell us is that mm-hmm. you settle down with one person of the quote unquote opposite sex, um, and you settle down and you have, get married and buy a house and have kids. And I'm like, right but that is not what a lot of people want Mm -hmm. uh like there's multiple things in there that i don't want definitely don't want kids um (laughs) and it's people people are so obsessed with trying to buy into that that any time that they see something that strays away from it they see well that's bad you're trying to we're often seen as like destroying something Mm. Like, you know, when, when people are trying to fight for, like, gay marriage, like, you're destroying the sanctity of marriage. Um, and that is exactly what people say about stuff like bisexual and polyamory and, like, other identities, like non-binary and asexual. You're trying to destroy something. You're trying to ruin something. You're trying to harm other people. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, all we're trying to do is exist. Absolutely. all we're trying to do is exist and be ourselves. And you're so obsessed with trying to grind everyone else down to be just like you. Mm -hmm. But you can't seem to accept other people.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. um, Two things there. One, I feel like one of the most important things, like I feel like the core of polyamory is this understanding that Love is not a finite resource that can be divided. Love is infinite and it multiplies. Um, And I think we see that in friendships. Like there's no such thing as like, I only have one friend. And if my friend hangs out with other people, then they're not a good friend. Uh, We don't see that with, uh, you know, family. It's not uh, a new a new person comes into our family or join or marries into our family. We don't say sorry.
1: <laughs> no more room.
3: <laughs> <laughs> like, so- <laughs> you know, I'm I'm like a very monogamous person personally, but I totally understand the concept of like not one person is going to fulfill everything in your life, and it's okay to have other people. Like, I know a lot of people don't get that because a lot of people, they're like, oh, I have a partner and they, the rest of their life just fades away. Mm-hmm. Um, they lose all kind of friendships and all that sort of stuff. But mm-hmm. for me, I'm just like, no, not one person is going to fulfill everything. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm happy. I have a partner, but I also have my friends and they're important to me and I want quality time with them because they all give me something else in my life. Absolutely, And I think that that can extend to anything. So like you said, it's, it's similar with friendships. Why can't it be the same with love?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And two, if the sanctity of your bond is threatened by two or more other people doing something that has absolutely nothing to do <laughs> with you, then it must not have been that sacred to begin with.
3: Right, right. I think that's the thing that always gets me. It's like, right, so your, your whole marriage is destroyed by someone else getting married? That's, that's a shaky mouth.
1: Wow,
0: so, yes. so, <laughs> 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 so Vineet, um, you've written quite a lot um, on your Medium blog, um, as well as for other outlets um, in uh, just sharing your personal story as a way to advocate for the community at large. Um, And in an article you wrote for Queer Immunity magazine um, about your personal coming out story, um, you shared some really important um, and sobering statistics, I think, for people who may not be paying attention to this stuff, um, which our society makes sure that they are not. Um, But I wanted to share some of those numbers um, and talk about them a little bit. Um, So according to Stonewall Foundation's Home and Communities report that came out in 2018, um, it shared that only 14% of bisexual men are out to their whole family and 46%, almost half of bisexual men aren't out to even one person in their family. Um, just imagine how isolating that that must feel and the shame involved and feeling like you can't tell even one person in your family about yourself. Um, additionally, over half of bisexual men report suffering from anxiety and 43% have had suicidal thoughts. Um, it's just, you know, I think we don't talk enough about um, the lack of, just mental health support and also just um, freedom to be flexible that I think uh, to be to explore to to embrace your softer sides. Like I I think um, men and masculine leaning folks uh, are often put into this box that uh, allows them to only be a certain way. Um, I don't know if you had any Additional thoughts you wanted to share about that particular phenomenon.
3: Oh, how long have we got? Uh, <laughs> well, the thing that I write about a lot is um, as a kid and even to this day, I am f- f- so far removed from what you, people consider masculinity, like for obviously people are listening so they can't see me, but I do not have like a haircut that men would have. Mm so much so that like anytime i've been to a barber they're like oh it's a very feminine cut
1: Mm -hmm.
3: um people would you know i'm I'm very emotional i've always been very emotional um i like soft toys i have so many of them um i've not got them here but i do have them (laughs) still at my parents place because i was like i can't bring this giant bag with me Um, (laughs) um i have a few here i have a few um and it's just, uh, like, there's a lot of these things which I was berated for when I was growing up. Mm. Um, my dad would constantly tell me, when are you going to grow up? When are you going to stop being a girl? Stop mm. crying. Stop crying is what girls do. Um, and it's, it's, I dealt with it a lot. I had a lot of expectations thrust upon me of, like, why don't you work out? Why don't you have that kind of body? Why don't you do this? Why aren't you into sports? um and even like stupid things you know we're talking about video games why don't you play call of duty and fifa Mm. i was like because they're shit like what (laughs) i cannot think of anything more boring like i definitely played fifa when i was a kid like i'm i loved fifa 98 um but like every year it's the same game and you could you just keep buying it i thought (laughs) you were the pop. Like, we get it. Thank you. I cannot express how much I dislike playing games with guns. Like, it's not Mm -hmm. just Call of Duty. If you put Mm -hmm. a gun in your game and that is your main game mechanic, I'm not playing. I'm not going to buy this game. Like, it's just not fun for me. I don't find it fun walking around being stealthy, trying to shoot people. I'm bored. Um, And there were always these expectations of what to act like and how to be. Um, and I didn't fall into any of that. It co- constantly meant that I was mocked. I was told, I was told that I was gay before I, I was having these feelings that I was hiding, but people would think I was gay anyway, because I'm not acting like a man and that's all it really takes. Um, and there's like a whole theory behind that of like, like people, people think that in society that mm-hmm. if you're feminine, you're gay. And if you're gay, then you're feminine. Um, I actually wrote a whole bunch of that. I won't go into it now, but like a whole bunch of that in my, in my book about bisexual men. Mm. Um, but there's a lot that can be said about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think we, we don't allow men to do any of this stuff. And I think so often this stems from misogyny. It stems from the idea that women are seen as lesser and mm-hmm. therefore a man showing womanly traits is degrading to himself. Mm. Um So, yeah, I I think it's often a struggle. And when it comes to stuff like bisexuality and, you know, all of those statistics, I'm not surprised because I struggled with depression and anxiety and suicidal ideation. And I've written about all of this. Mm -hmm. I was worried about coming out. And I think it's because of the fact that you, it's not just the idea that being gay and like a man showing feelings for another man is a bad thing. But it's also the idea of like, well, since I'm attracted to who I'm supposed to be attracted to, aka women, I can just live that life, I guess. And it will appease people. Mm. And I've spoken to people who are like, well, I was in a happy marriage with a woman. I I wanted absolutely nothing to change, but I wasn't being me. Mm. And I wasn't telling people who I was. I wasn't telling the person I love the most in my life. Who I actually am. And I felt like I was hiding myself, putting up a mask.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and I think that is what stops people. It's like, well, what if I do come out and then I have to ruin my whole entire life? For what? I'm in a happy right. marriage. I love her. There's nothing, there's nothing changing here. Mm-hmm. But there were, at the same time, there is because I'm not being me. Um, and when we live in a society that constantly says, the world is binaries. It's man and woman. It's male and fe- it's male and female. It's uh, straight and gay. People just don't see bisexual as real, and so it's not only the internalized of like this isn't real. I'm not actually bisexual. I'm in denial. Mm-hmm. But also, you come out and say you're a man in in a relationship with a woman. You come out and you tell her, and she might go, "Oh, so you're gay? I'm leaving you." Mm-hmm. And
0: Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah, and I and I think too, it's there's an added layer of of fear or of risk because as you're speaking to, like coming out isn't just a matter of stepping into your truth. It also means that stepping into your truth opens you up to ridicule, to shame, to Um, people not believing you, feeling like you need to justify your existence, like, uh, lack of safety, Mm -hmm. lack of, like, there's security in just leaning into a heteronormative identity to just staying with a partner because it's easy for others to understand. It's, it's like, you know, generally how the trajectory of your life is going to go, thanks to the stories that our society tells. And so, um, I can absolutely see, um, or an ex I've experienced
1: <laughs>
3: <Yeah. laughs> the same thing. <laughs> and then it comes <laughs> to this double-edged sword because then people go, Oh, so bisexual is easier because you can just be straight. <laughs> you can just be straight and it's fine. Right. Because you're happy. You're in a relationship mm-hmm. with, with someone and you're happy and nothing has to change. And you're going to be in this relationship, which everyone perceives as straight. And therefore no one's going to harm you. And it's like, first of all, are you, constantly being seen in this relationship.
1: Like,
3: mm. I am this, like, I constantly fight this idea of, like, okay, well, then what if a gay person isn't in a relationship? Then does that mean that they're not going to get any homophobic right. bullying? Like that, that's, that's not how homophobia works. Homophobia right. is based on what you perceive someone as. Mm-hmm. And if someone looks queer, they're going to get bullied, right? Mm-hmm. And there are plenty mm-hmm. of gay people who probably don't, and there are plenty of bi people who probably do look queer um so there's again so much to unpack there yeah, yeah. but people don't think it's easier because you can just go into that life and i was like well you're happy in it and it's like well yes and no yes mm-hmm. they're happy in this relationship and they're in love and blah 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 but in the inside they're struggling because they feel like they can't tell the world or even tell their partner who they are mm-hmm. and they feel like they're living a lie yeah. it's it's a double-edged sword that people just go nah you've got it easy mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like okay because apparently everything that is wrong everything that we deal with is it comes down to whether we get punched in the street or not and mm-hmm. nothing else yeah it's a lot more nuanced than that yeah
0: So, you know, something that we have talked about, Vanit, is just how scary it can be, um, coming out, sort of shaking up, um, what's known, what's comfortable, and sort of forging a new path, finding new community. Um, And one of the things I noticed in some of your personal essays, or one of them in particular, is that you mentioned that joining the London Gamers community, and that's, for folks listening, that's Gamers, G-A-Y-M-E-R-S. And you joined the London Gamers community, and it was super impactful for you, helping you find friends and grow Uh, your network just with other uh, folks who share both uh, this identity and interest. And I'm curious, like, why was it so transformative to find this particular community for you?
3: For me, I think the thing that I struggled with when I first came out, so I first came out at the beginning of 2017, and that Mm -hmm. included basically to myself. Mm -hmm. And at the end of 2017, I was like, well, okay, I need to, like, I've lost, like, I, I had a bit of a turbulent year. Uh, and I lost quite a few friends, and I was like, "Well, I need to find friends. How do I go and find friends?" And I also need to find a community because I need to talk to people um, about my queerness and what I'm going through. How yeah. do I do that? And I think for me, I was like, "I, I can't just go to a club. <laughs> Am I going to make friends like that?" And I think that's that's one of that's firstly one of the biggest flaws in our community is that so much of our community revolves on clubs and pubs and drinking. And there's not really a space where you can just meet people and make friends. But I think that's why this was so important is for me, it was such a bridging gap. I'd Mm. been in gaming communities for the last few years. I've been playing video games since I was like three, four years old. Gaming is something I knew. Mm. And so I was like, well, I can go into this space and if nothing else, I have something to talk about because Mm. they will say, what games are you playing and all i can go what games are you playing and <laughs> we can talk about video games but there's that added layer of they are also like me in terms of my identity mm-hmm. and so we can then talk about that as well and i think that's why that community was so important for me because it was a bridging gap it was going from something i already know to something i have no idea about and being able to connect the two and go right now i can meet people and i've made lifelong friends with that i have a little group of friends who i'm actually going to see tomorrow nice (laughs) and we talk all the time and i've met them through this community Mm. and we talk about video games all the time like i message my friend and be like oh i'm on this on rcs now and they're like I've moved on. I'm playing, I think they're playing like Gran Turismo now, but they (laughs) decided they wanted a PS5. And I was like, for what games? (laughs) (laughs) All the games are also being released on PS4. And they're like, yeah, but I'm not going to buy a PS4 this late in the game. And I was like, yeah. Mm.
1: Um,
3: So I think for me, it really helped me be able to find people who are like me, but it's not all about identity. And like, because I'm not just my identity, right? I yeah. wanted people to talk to about more than just my bisexuality, but I also wanted to talk about that too and be like, Hey, I've just come out and like, I am not having a fun time and have people value around me. And so like, you know, I came out to my mom and I had the message, they started messaging me and being like, Oh my God, you just came out to your mom. How was that? How are you oh, doing? Congratulations? Blah, blah, blah. That's awesome. Um, and so it was really nice having that support, um, just as I was like, I guess I, I say finishing coming out, um, coming out is a lifetime process, but like yeah. in terms of the people who were currently in my life, um, and coming out to my family, like that was, that for me was like the milestone of like, right, I've, I've done that now mm-hmm. and now going forward, I can say my sexuality up front and that's just the thing, mm-hmm. um, So yeah, that's, I think that's why the community was so important.
0: No. Yeah. Thank you for that. I think mm, that's a really great point. Like when I think back to where I found where I met people and built my own queer community and queer network, it was through like hookup apps, uh, like anonymous, like message boards where people, cruising groups and uh you know like BdSM play parties so like, <laughs> and if I were I think now I'm at a point where um you know I'm doing a lot of trauma work I'm sort of unpacking a lot of who I was in my early 20s and why I engaged with the places I did and this is not at all any sort of blanket statement saying anything negative about hookup culture or um you know BdSM or anything like that but I think for me personally I'm at a point where I'm like okay what are my sober space options like what are my where do the nerdy queers hang out. um, And we really don't, you know, all the lesbian bars are gone in in Massachusetts. We don't really have sober spaces for queer folks to gather. We don't really, um, like, it's hard to not always feel like your identity needs to come first when sort of like introducing yourself or meeting other people in sort of the spaces that we occupy. Um, And so I think having that shared context of games, uh, not even like having your identity necessarily be part of the conversation yet until you're ready. Um, I think that's, it's an amazing point and really true. And I need to find a gaming group near me. (laughs) I
3: definitely recommend it. I definitely do. (laughs)
0: Um, Finite, tell us a little bit more about your personal history with gaming. Do you consider yourself to be a capital G gamer?
3: (laughs) Oh my God. Like, I don't know. (laughs) I go back and forth on that because like, people love to gatekeep and mm. i find it exhausting i find the whole gatekeeping in our community exhausting the number of times i've been told you're not a real gamer quote unquote mm. um and there's so many times where i'm like oh i'm i'm a gamer and i'm like actually do i want to be a gamer because y'all are messy <laughs> uh, <like>, you all <laughs> have the shittest politics in the world and you're all just <laughs> obsessed with like i'm a better gamer than you and i just find it <laughs> ridiculous because for me like, hobbies are about connecting with other people. Yes. And so often people love to be like, Well, you know, I'm more into that than you. And I'm like, Says who? It's like, I-, I once had this conversation with someone who was like, Well, I'm more of a Leighton, like Professor Leighton fan than you are. And mm-hmm. I was like, How? And they're like, Oh, because I cosplayed as him. So clearly I like him more. <laughs> and I was like, What? What do you? What? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I, once, I once had someone be like, Oh, what kind of games do you normally play? And I was like, Well, mainly Nintendo these days mm-hmm. and they were like oh so you're not a real gamer then the real game is based up on all consoles and platforms and I was like "What oh, they play what, they like? Nice.
1: Yeah. Do they, play <laughs> what they like but yeah
3: right anyway um history with gaming I so I grew up with video games I started playing games when I was like three four five years old we got like a, I can't remember which one came first because I was so young and Time didn't mean anything back then, Mm -hmm. Um, at least looking back. Um, But we, one of the first things we had was a Game Boy. I say we, my brother got it and he would constantly ban me from it, but I was still sneaking. But it's still we. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, My mom would be like, it's for you. It's for all of you. I was like, mom, how do we share Pokemon with this guy who has control issues? (laughs) Um, And we also had a Super Nintendo that our neighbor randomly gave us for Mm. some reason. Um, and so, some of my early mem- earliest memories of video games are Super Mario Land. Um, mm. I was actually talking to my my boyfriend earlier because he was showing me this gift that I've seen a while, uh, quite some time ago. But like, it's always funny. Is um, when it's like a gift when Mario's riding Yoshi and he jumps for the gate and <laughs> then jumps off Yoshi to hit the gate, and Yoshi's like crying and then gets really angry. It's like, <laughs> how dare you? Um, and Mario's like. Fuck you, I'm winning, I'm winning <laughs> the game with or without you. And I was like, when I was a kid, if I lost Yoshi, yeah. I would just straight up kill myself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not playing Yoshi's We reached the flag Yoshi.
3: together. <laughs> <laughs> I, I only actually care about Yoshi. Mario is secondary in this game. If mm-hmm. I could play as Yoshi, I would. Somehow I never played Yoshi's Island. Oh man, I was
0: about to say oh, Yoshi's Island was my game. I never
3: knew about it. I never knew about it. Um, but i loved playing um super mario land Uh, sorry no super mario world right super Mm. mario world Mm -hmm. um god i feel like a noob right now (laughs) 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 super mario world um pokemon obviously obviously like the underrated gem that is mario paint the fact that they haven't made yes the fact that they haven't made a sequel like how dare you Mm -hmm. how absolutely Mm -hmm. dare you
0: I know there was such an experimentation phase. We had like Paper Mario. We had like Superstar Saga with Mario and Luigi working together. I'm like, bring back the experimental Mario, right? Titles.
3: Right? Like, oh my god, I need them to just do more like interesting stuff. Like because you get really fun. to think. Like, when he did Luigi's Mansion and it's mm. and it was like, oh my god, um, how like that was. Like, I love the sequels, but the first one is oh, just yeah. iconic. Mm-hmm. Like, all of the, like, different paintings and, like, having Damn. a baby and being in the crib. What a moment. <laughs> what a moment of, like, a baby terrorizing you as you were tiny in their crib. Like um but, yeah, that and, and okay, Kirby. Um mm-hmm. actually got, like, the new Kirby game. There's, like, I
0: think oh got, like a special <laughs> game for the mouse mat as well. Venezia holding up a giant Kirby... Uh, yeah, mouse pad. It's very adorable.
3: <laughs> like, I remember playing the first Kirby game, Kirby's Dreamland, mm-hmm. Um, on the Game Boy. Again, my, my brother used to not let me play it, but I was just like, every time he was not there, I was like, i <laughs> And it was so difficult because you had yeah. to do it in one run. Otherwise, mm-hmm. And if you die, you're, you're dead, you're dying again. And I remember the moment when I did it and I felt, I felt like that's where my life peaked to this mm-hmm. day. Like, that is where my
1: life mm-hmm. peaked.
3: I, mean, I finished Kirby's Dreamland. I don't know <laughs> if I'll ever be able to do that again in my life. Um, <laughs> it was oh, such a good game. And mm-hmm. I, I've been obsessed ever since. I've, I'm a Nintendo boy at heart. Anyone who knows, I'm probably going to plug it at the end, but, like, my social yes. media <laughs> is Nintendo Mad888. <laughs> I, I vow to one day get verified. With that username mm-hmm. and be like, yeah, suck it. I look okay, forward Nintendo to that Nintendo Mad day. AAA <laughs> is a blue tick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, like, it is my my one true passion, and and I'm I'm one of those people where like people will call me a fanboy, and I'm like, actually, I get it, but I will be the first person to stand up and criticize Nintendo anytime they misstep. Mm. Okay let's face it the wii u was not their strongest moment um we don't know her some, some gem games but my god the marketing on that console uh-uh. was horrendous. Uh-uh. um and yeah and i you know i i've played other stuff age of empires
1: uh-uh.
3: is high key age of empires 2 like hands down one of my favorite games of all time I wasn't good at it, but I loved every second of it. Mm -hmm. Theme Hospital, Sims, all of that stuff. Mm. Um, And then a PlayStation. I have a PlayStation 4. I used to have PlayStation 1 and 2. Um, Never had a PlayStation 3. My brother did and didn't let me play it. Um, He didn't go out of that. He did not go out of that. No, clearly not. (laughs)
0: to touch on um, a concept that you brought up to us um, just sort of when we were getting into, you know, what are we going to talk about on the show today? And as you mentioned, um, you know, you don't shy away from giving criticism where it's needed um, and thinking critically about the games you play. And I wanted to touch on the concept of player sexuality that you brought up to us and how that it gets confused for queer representation. Um, and so for folks who aren't aware uh, of the concept, um, there's a piece uh, by Elena Cole for game developer, um, previously known as Gama Sutra, folks are familiar, uh, where she writes, player sexuality describes the phenomenon of romanceable non-player characters being interested in the player character, regardless of their gender typically in very heteronormative game worlds. It's easy for developers to implement as they don't need to change these characters' interactions with the player based on the gender selected during character creation. And because it's entirely optional, it allows developers to basically appeal to those who are interested in queer relationships while making them avoidable for any homophobic players who are picking up the game. And so, um, Vinny, like... Why is player sexuality actually not great for queer representation and inclusion?
3: I mean, that last part is the part that really strikes home, is if it isn't f- if it wasn't for the fact that you're going out there trying to make that happen in the game, you're not going to see it. Mm-hmm. And for me, that does not give representation. I think, you know, it's still something and I still enjoy it. But for me it's not explicitly there, right? Yeah. And the other thing that I find is that it's even if you know it's there, sometimes still making it happen is not easy. Mm. Um, and also the question comes up of like, well, how do you know, it, know it's there, right? So like firstly, the fact that we live in a, in a society where we have technology and people write about this stuff <laughs> is what tells us it's there. If you don't read the article that happens to tell you if you're not online enough to know that this game that you have decided to buy has an option for you to make your character queer, Mm -hmm. you may never see it. So that's, first of all, you're Mm -hmm. never going to see the queer representation unless you're told that it's in the game. And if you miss that, then you know, don't don't know it. Mm -hmm. Um, I could like, this is an example of asexual, but for example, in um, Ghost of Tsushima, I was mainly focusing on the main narrative because I'm like, I have way too many games to play. And if I don't do the yeah. main narrative, I may never finish this game. Valid. There was a side quest where they revealed one of the characters is queer.
1: Mm.
3: How was I supposed to know if no one told me? How mm-hmm. was I supposed to play it? How was I supposed to see it? If it's not in the main game, you can't guarantee someone's going to play the side quest. Mm-hmm. Um, second of all, it's how easy is, is it to actually make it happen? For example, I played Life is Strange 2. I was told that there was a romanceable option. A man that you can romance and a woman that you can romance. I tried to romance the man. Mm. It did not happen. Mm. Why? Because I selected the wrong choice. <laughs> and it's sometimes it's completely un... Like it, it doesn't follow through. It's like, okay, I want to romance you. And it's like, right, but then you've got to do this thing that will make him happy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, right, but the thing that he wants to do is not something I want to do. So now what? And they're like, so I've got to do the thing I don't want to do just so I can romance the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's part two. But part three is, like you said, it's, it's completely avoidable for people who just don't want to see it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that is in and of itself uh, representation because if someone is, is queerphobic, they can just go, well, it's not going to happen in my game. In my game, the player is straight and they'll just make them straight. Mm -hmm. And there'll be no allusion to queerness because they will never click those options. Mm -hmm. They will never make those options happen. And so the player that they're playing as will be straight. There are other characters who are romanceable. They will not give the indication that you could romance them because they're not selecting those options. And then those characters aren't expressing a sexuality outside of what the player is choosing to do. If the player talked to these characters and the characters are like, well, I'm interested in men and you're playing as a man and you're like, okay, so they're, they're gay or bi or something. Then it's like, okay, then at least you know it's there. And they might be, if they're homophobic, they'll be like, oh, I hate that and don't do it. But they've seen it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so they know that that character's queer. Yeah. And that, that is at least something. But they can, just, they can just never click those options. They will never see it. And therefore, how can you say that the character's queer when it's entirely up to what the player's choosing?
0: Right, like, where's, Mm -hmm. on one hand, it's like, where's that character's autonomy and personhood? Like, it's not just up to me to define, like, what everyone else's sexuality is. On the other hand, I feel like player sexuality sort of confirms this harmful narrative that, queer relationships are just straight relationships with a different coat on that, like, we all strive for heteronormativity, or we all strive for a relationship unfolding in a certain way, which just is not true. Like, there is no relationship where your identity, your lived experiences aren't part of the conversation. And so to act as though you can just flip a switch and it's the same thing, just like further incorrectly reinforces heteronormativity as the standard and all yeah. of that is wrapped up in that
3: especially when you think of something like life is strange which has so much narrative around certain levels of oppression and certain things that people deal with such as racism sexism all sorts of stuff in those games mm. you would think that if the player was actually queer that would be part of the conversation that they're having with you Mm. about their hardship they're Mm -hmm. sitting there and there's a guitar drumming in the background (laughs) and they're having a really thoughtful moment with you but they're not talking about their their damage of being a queer person it's interesting like how that can just be admitted from the things that that person has had to deal with in their life Mm -hmm. um and i'm not saying that you know i want stories which are completely centered and focused around queer trauma but like you said our experiences are different it's a bit like how you have some shows where they're like oh yeah and that character is bisexual or gay or whatever and it's like right but everyone else is straight (laughs) (laughs) and they, they think oh well you know we've got the representation i'm like right but like i'm sorry but I caught them the last time I spoke to a cis person. Mm. So, like, what world are they in? They have mm-hmm, no right. queer friends. <laughs> right, they're just the token friend. What queer <laughs> person has no queer right. friends? Right. I feel very hurt for this character. Yeah. They have no queer friends. Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. <laughs> And um, so, Vinny, you know, we've touched a bit on where, um, you know, things could be better and and where we see opportunity areas um, that could be improved. What are some games that you've played uh, where you really felt seen or you really felt like it did queer representation right?
3: I honestly feel like indies are hitting it out of the bag. Mm -hmm. Like, I think indies are doing the most in terms of <laughs> re- seeing the holes that all these AAA people are absolutely refusing to fill because they're worried about their core market and they're obsessed with the idea that their core market are like 30-year-old pasty white boys mm-hmm. who live in their mom's basement,
1: mm-hmm.
3: um, that they are so afraid to step out of that. And indies are like, no, we're going to appeal to, to people who, who exist. Mm. One of my favorite games is Gene Daddy. <laughs> um Like, it's just so fun and so silly, and it really talks about queerness in so many different ways. It has so many different types of representation. For me, one of the big things, because, like, often when I'm looking at representation, it's not just queerness, but also POC.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Up until that point, I was so used to just playing a white protagonist. And if I do get a colour option, it's like, okay, there was one brown skin shade and one black skin shade Mm. and that's all you're getting. Um, I'm looking at you Pokemon who have Mm. two white skin shades. Anyway. Um, Dream Daddy had a whole color wheel. Mm. Like, it had a whole color wheel and I was obsessed. I was like, oh my god, I've never... I've never played a game like this. And I was like having an existential crisis mm. of like what level of brown I am. <laughs> I've never had to think about what level of brown I am until this point in my life.
1: Mm.
3: And I was like, that one? No. That one? No. Oh my God, <laughs> there's too much choice. Um, but it was, it was fantastic. Like it has so many different options. I think they even have a trans option mm. because they have... Um, like from what I could tell, they had a body and it had binding tape on there. Mm. And I was like, is that, is that? Um, And I just, I just love that. I just love the fact that they poured their very heart into making this inclusive and making people feel like they could be their perfect dream daddy and romance all the daddies. And they have so many different options. And it really shows that like queer people come in all shapes and all colors and all forms and all interests that we're not all just this monolith and we don't all, we're not all the same. Mm -hmm. They had people who were, you know, very, very daddy type. Um, they had people who were like emo and people who were into really into music and people who were the dark brooding type and the very overly queer one. And, um, and it was from so many different walks of life Mm -hmm. and so many different struggles that these people were dealing with. Um, so I absolutely loved that. Um, another game that I loved, which isn't necessarily queer representation, but is very strongly POC, is uh, Raji. I think it's called Raji, the, an ancient epic. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't finished it. I only played a couple of hours so far. But I played it and it had all of these cutscenes and all of this, like, I was just very overwhelmed i was sitting there and i was like i have never seen a a game which has vishnu and shiva and they're talking to each other and i think it's shiva but like they have like these gods and goddesses from hindu mythology Mm -hmm. and they're helping out this girl to try and save her her brother and it like from the music to the colors to the like drawings and art style it just felt so off my culture in a way that yeah. I feel like I've never seen before. Um, and so that for me did a lot. I I just, I was, I was amazed mm. by that. Um, and although I just spent a while, like slagging off Life is Strange, I do really <laughs> appreciate the fact that it has these options. Um, there's, there's, there's other issues there as well. Mm. I, I won't go into it because I know you said before, the podcast that you just started life is strange to the first one. <laughs> yeah. But they have another trope in there, which is very like from TVs and movies. Oh boy. And I'm just like, um, it's the very end. It's the very end. So anyone who's listening, it's the very end and you will know exactly what I'm talking about. And on the one hand, it's like, yes, like it was full of emotion and it felt very off the game. But on the other hand, for fuck's sake, like, mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, but I do appreciate the fact that it was a very big game, and it still had that love that queerness in there
1: mm-hmm.
3: um and it still had those options um and I think that that was important for a lot of people Absolutely. um and I think it has a lot of very interesting conversations like life is strange too when it came out, I feel like it was very important from the time from the time it came out because it was talking about the struggle. Of being an immigrant, specifically being an immigrant from Mexico or being, because um, they, they, were, they weren't immigrants themselves, but their, their dad was and they mm-hmm. emigrated. Mm-hmm. And they were US citizens, but it was specifically talking about that experience, like Trump era and not mm-hmm. feeling like you belonged in the US and not feeling like people wanted you there um and talking about like building the wall all of that stuff um so it has a lot of really important conversations um in there Mm -hmm. um but yeah i feel like there's a lot more that the gaming industry needs to be needs to be doing i honestly feel like the industry is very behind um Mm. and i think a lot of that is because of the way they're still trying to appeal to this sort of core gamer demographic um quote unquote of um cis white men Mm -hmm. and so scared to branch out from that and anytime they do there's just massive backlash because the the quote unquote gamers with a capital G are saying you're you're taking another thing from us. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you see how much they cry when you take Star Wars and James Bond and Marvel from them. Mm so it's like you're taking gaming from us and you've got this this woman who why does she have Beard fans, i talking about Horizon. If that wasn't obvious, uh, <laughs> um, don't even get me started. Why does she have beard fans? Like, have you met a woman? Mm-hmm. Have you seen a woman with your eyes?
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> only from <laughs> a distance, I
0: think. <laughs> Not close <personal laughs> beard fans. Yeah. <laughs> it's a testament to how far our graphic capacity has come.
3: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, there's just there's just so much to say about the the fan base and mm-hmm. the way the fan base has such a i would say a very vocal minority yeah. but they're very very vocal and it's so disgustingly toxic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um that it really drags the industry down but i feel like that culture is not just outside but inside
1: mm-hmm. like
3: who is behind the games that are being made Mm-hmm. Who are the people in that boardroom in that game game dev bank like who who's working there? who's writing the narrative and I feel like that's the problem as well i mean we've We've all seen what's happening with Activision Blizzard mm-hmm. at the moment. That is not an isolated case mm-hmm. no. The gaming industry is toxic through and through inside and out. Mm-hmm. um and i think that, that is what is holding the industry back
0: yeah it's it's a shame that as you said this vocal minority has this scarcity mindset that making room for others inherently takes something from them and it's it's unfortunate um that they feel that way but um they're also wrong and they should feel wrong <laughs> um it's been absolutely lovely to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, where can folks follow you online? And is your book out yet? Slash, where can folks find it, or when is it coming out?
3: <laughs> so, in terms of socials, you can find me literally everywhere at NintendoMad eight eight eight. Honestly, you can Google that, and my social medias <laughs> will come up. Um, Twitter is where I'm most active. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram. Um, I have a Medium, which again is NintendoMad888 at uh, Medium dot um, Medium um, I haven't put anything there in a while because I've been writing a book, as we mentioned. And in terms of the book, it's um, I've only submitted my first draft, and I'm currently just finishing up my edits. So mm-hmm. um, hopefully, final draft slash second draft soon. Um, the current timeline is potentially very, very late this year, very, very early next year. Okay. So I think sometime between December and February. Um, and if you follow me, I will definitely be putting up information as and when I have it. Um, so once it's available for pre-order, I will be posting it everywhere and be like, please go buy the book that I spent two years writing because Like, you got to make it all worth it because, please, Mm. it was a lot of work and I'm tired.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Uh, Thank you so much, Monique, for joining us on Pixel Therapy.
3: Thank you for having me.
2: Time is up for today's session of Pixel Therapy. Thank you for tuning in. And we hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own. If you want more Pixel Therapy, come check us out at patreon.com slash Pixel Therapy Pod, where you can snag that monthly bonus episode for just $2 a month, plus opportunities to get involved with the community and influence the show directly. If you're not up for contributing monetarily, but you enjoyed this episode, you can show your support for free by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and following us on Twitter and Instagram at therapy Pod. That stuff is just as important and we appreciate it just as much. Remember that Pixel Therapy is a happy member of the But Why Though Podcast Network. So you can support us by supporting them and heading over to com. That's though with a T-H-O. Take a peek at the inclusive geek community they're building around pop culture news, reviews, and kick-ass podcasts like yours truly. And you can keep up with all of this stuff and more by visiting our website at pixeltherapypod.com.
0: Finally, since we like to put our money and our energy where our mouth is, we end every episode with a recommended side quest. The IGL Foundation is a New Orleans-based nonprofit organization whose mission is to bring people together to learn, compete, and play by providing opportunities for students in the areas of technology, gaming, and the digital arts that are both enriching and entertaining. While using the Portal of Alternate Dimensional Experiences, they use gaming as a gateway to building networks and communities through social competitions and mental athletic training to build bonds with students. To learn more, get involved, and donate, visit iglfoundation.org. Again, that's iglfoundation.org.
2: Thank you for that, side quest, Spencer. That is our show for today. So go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats, and don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We'll be back soon with some more Pixel Therapy. therapy.
1: Bye-bye.